cracks me up that Scott has me preach, and so I decided to come up with a message, harlot to heroin. And I thought, he leaves, and I'm going to speak on prostitution and drugs. Awesome. So, but it's the wrong kind of heroin. I didn't know this until this morning. I was like, that doesn't seem right to me. So I looked it up. Heroin with an E is the person. If you leave the E off, it's the drug. So I'm like, oh, good to know. So if you didn't know that here, that was free. All right. So there, I'm going to give you a little backdrop here. The Israelites have just left Egypt. Now, it's only an 11-day journey, the Scripture says. But in their case, because they kept messing around, it took them 40 years. So they took a scenic route. So if you're running from the Lord or doing something you shouldn't be doing, and it's taking you a long time to get what you're supposed to get, maybe God is putting his finger on you and says, hey, you know, the promised land's really just right there if you'll come back this direction. So they arrive near the city of Jericho. They're on the east side of the Jordan River, right? And that was kind of the dividing line, although some of the Israelites did, in fact, get some of the land on the west, the other side of the river. But they're on the east side. They're hanging out. They find their way um, all the way into Jericho. And you got to remember, this is Joshua who's now leading the troops. Moses has died. Moses is not allowed to come into the promised land. So Joshua's there. And he does the same thing that was done to him 40 years earlier. In the past, Moses sent out 12 spies to go examine the promised land. The 12 spies go in. Ten of them come out and say, we can't do it. Only Joshua and Caleb say, we can take this. We got this. Right? And because of the 10 that said no, God said, all right, you're all staying. So they all wander through the desert for 40 years until that generation dies off. So now it's Joshua's turn to finally get into the promised land. Only he and Caleb are the only two around that get to do it. But he's smart. He's like, you know what? Last time we sent in 12. It didn't pan out well. This time I'm going to send in two. And then maybe we'll have God's favor here and let this thing roll out like it's supposed to. Now these two spies make their way to the prostitute's house. Her name is Rahab. Can you imagine if someone today were to question them, like, what were you doing at the prostitute's house? Well, I was on a mission from God, trust me, right? It wouldn't pan out too well. You'd be like, eh, eh, I'm not going to think that through. But they're on a mission from God. Now, fortunately, just so you guys know what Rahab looks like, I got a picture up there. I found her on the Internet. That's what she looks like, or she did at the time. They make their way over to Rahab, and this is what Rahab says in Joshua 2, verses 9 and 10. I know the Lord has given you this land. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea. Now, how did she know that? How did she know that the Lord had given the Israelites that land? One of the things that I, I started thinking about was it was probably just plain old gossip. Right? Good old-fashioned gossip. And then I got to thinking, you know what? God does allow gossip. One kind. The kind that brags and talks about him. That kind of gossip you can do all day, every day. It says in Jeremiah 9:24, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. And I thought, you know what? You want to brag? You want to have a haughty spirit? You want to talk smack about somebody? Talk about God. Talk about what he's doing and what he's done, because that made its way all the way over to Rahab, and she knew what was going on before they ever got there. Secondly, she says... The Lord has made a dry path for you through the Red Sea. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Lord has made a dry path for you too. 
He has a plan for you, and he has a direction for you, and he has something for you you may not know anything about, but it's there, trust me. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life, right? Not just life here on earth, although that's a part of it. And then there's the eternal side of it too. He says, you made known to me the path of life. You ever heard somebody say, you know what? I just don't know what God's will is. I just don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do. If you have a Bible next to you, I guarantee you have 99% of it right there in the black and white. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. Read that thing. It says in Micah 6, 8, he has showed you, oh man, what, is, what he wants, right? Justice and mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So if you're ever wondering what God's will is for your life, 99% is right there in the black and white. And I always say, if you're not obeying what God has said in the black and white, why in the world would he give you extra revelation and tell you, oh, I want you to do this? Because I know what people are saying when they say, hey, What's God's will for my life? They're like, hey, should I be a chiropractor? Should I be a brain surgeon? If you make one of those signs, that means you work for waste management. All right. So what is God's will for you? But she goes on. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So she's saying these things. And I'm thinking to myself, did she always feel that way? Is she thinking that now? Why does she say that the Lord is the supreme God of the heavens? I wonder if she was saying that, I think this now, was she saying that just to be kind to the spies and to kind of let them know where she was coming from, or did she really believe it? Do you think that Rahab grew up dreaming of being a prostitute? I don't. I wonder what her childhood was like. Was she used and abused from an early age? Was she just a commodity? Um, was this a recent event? Was it that her family couldn't provide for her and so she had to step up and provide for all of them and that was her only manner? I don't know. But they're just questions that I have because I can, you can see where her mentality's at with the things that are coming out of her mouth. And then I thought to myself, was she alone? But she's not alone because she immediately says, let me live along with my father and mother and my brothers and my sisters and their families. So she's saying, I don't, just care about me I care about them too so if they had abused her and had they caused her to go into this um, particular profession she still was thinking about them and thinking about how I can redeem them out of this whole pit as well so not just herself so she lets these spies back down says she hides them in the roof first and then she lets them down by a rope through her house which is in the walls of Jericho That'll be important here later on. So she lets him down through a rope. And then she tells him, this is how you're going to get away from the king's men. They're going to come looking for you for three days. So go hide for three days. Right? So she's helping them elude the king. Now, she's down on so many counts right now, it's not funny. So and don't take this personal, ladies. It's just how it was. So back then in Bible times, it was not a good deal to be a female 99% of the time. You were treated less than dirt and pretty much just a possession, just like a pet, right? So she's a female. Secondly, she's a harlot or a prostitute. That's her job. So she's even lower than the low. On top of that, now she's helping the king's spies. I mean, the, the spies that are um, enemies of the king. She's helping these spies. So 
on several counts, she and her entire family could have been killed for any number of these things at any time. So she's, she's pretty scared. She's taken a risk to even do this. But she does it. As far as her being a prostitute, I started thinking about this too. You know how everybody always says that's the oldest profession? I'm like, no, it's not. Adam was tilling the soil in the Garden of Eden first. That's the first profession. That's where FarmersOnly.com got started right there. That's where it happened. <clears throat> this is just how God does stuff. It just cracks me up. So Joshua 3.15 says that the Jordan was overflowing its banks. You know that God orchestrated this whole thing, that at the time that the army gets there to the, the Jordan River, this thing is at flood stage. Have you ever noticed that God has the worst timing ever from our perspective? Ever. From our, but he does it on purpose. So every time, every time. When you run out of money, that's when the needy family shows up on your doorstep. Says, hey, do you got a pl place for us? Do you have food? And you're like... I mean, look at some of the stories in the Old Testament. When Elijah's coming through there, he's like, hey, why don't you go bake me some bread and make me some stew and do this and that. And they're like, well, I don't have anything left. We're going to eat this and we're going to die. And he's like, just do it. And she does it. And the oil keeps flowing. And she has all of the oil and all of the food she needs. But God, but can you imagine that first impression that you have? God always does that. So God is bringing the army over to the Jordan River, and it's that flood stage. And they're like, great. you got to remember that entire generation that had crossed the Red Sea has died out. So they would have been kids, you know, at the first time they crossed the Red Sea, but now they're at the Jordan, so now it's their turn. So they get to the, the Red Sea, I mean the, the Jordan River, and I always thought to myself, you know, the first time they crossed the Red Sea, Moses lifted up his staff and the sea parted. But now God's gonna up the ante a little bit. And remember, like I said, God's timing is always the worst, and he's always doing things. And I always say this, and I think it's true, and it's, again, from our human perspective, God always comes through, and God is always late. Have you ever noticed that? Always. Just when you, you can't do it anymore, and you're done, and you throw in the towel, you're like, it's over. He hands you a new towel, and you're like, well, all right, I guess I'll wait some more, because you didn't see it coming, because he has a different plan. So they get ready to cross the Jordan River, and it says, and they're walking, walking, walking. The priests are out front, the ark, they're carrying everything. You know when the water parts? After the priest's feet touch the water. You talk about waiting until the 11th hour. God waits till their feet are wet. Have you ever noticed sometimes God doesn't move in your life until you get your feet wet? He waits for you to get some traction and get moving and goes, okay, now we can do something with this. Not always, but often. He does it sometimes, or he does it often. just depends on what you're going through. But I thought, that is just so God to wait until the priest's feet are in the water and go, ta-da, because that's what he does. He wants to know if you're going to be like people that you've known that have held their staff up in the past and the ocean parted, and so you just try to do that too. But he's got something different for you and me. So remember this, if you're waiting on God, he can outweigh you. But more importantly, it's not just about you. He's got other things going on at the same time that may not involve you at all. So while the Israelite army is making their way across the Jordan and doing all this stuff, Rahab is in her house waiting, her whole family. Now, they told her when the spies got there, grab all your friends, grab all your family, anybody you want to live, and you stay inside that house and don't come out because you're going to be killed. 
There's only two spies that actually go in and talk to her. I don't know how big the army is. The scriptures don't say as far as I remember, but let's just guess 500,000 troops are coming. So she's depending on these two spies to get the message across to the 500,000 people that this is the family you want to keep alive. Have you ever lost anything in communication? You know what that's like? And so she's like, ooh, this, this may not end well. And so I'm going to do everything I do. So you can imagine that she obeyed everything that they said. So she's waiting inside her house. Cousins, distant cousins, stepsisters, half-sisters, twice removed, whatever that means. If anybody knows what twice removed is, see me after the service because I have no flipping clue what that even means. But they stay inside or they're going to be killed. Now she ties a red cord and she throws it on the outside of her house, which is in the city wall. And I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, there's only two spies that have seen her house and this red cord hopefully is hanging there. But I imagine they didn't have a ton of building materials back then. Can you imagine if they would have just said, hey, it's the brown one, kind of stucco looking. Well, there's 6,000 other houses that look just like it in the city wall. And so your chances of survival would have went way, way down. But she has this crimson colored cord that's going to save all of them. And we have something crimson colored thousands of years later that saved us as well. So Israel, at the same time, is over here. They're making their way across the river, or about to. And now they've got to consecrate themselves, which basically just means to set themselves apart. We're going to declare ourselves as holy. We're coming into the promised land. Everything was jacked up before. We're going to get a fresh start. Let's do this thing right. So they set themselves apart. Now you've got to remember, Rahab's waiting with her family. How long does it take them to consecrate themselves? For you and I, we'd be like, all right, I'm going to set myself apart for the Lord. Okay, that's done. Now we're ready. It takes them three days. So this was no joke to them. They were really consecrating themselves. Can you imagine being Rahab waiting? Like, it's been three days. It's like a 10-minute walk. What are you guys waiting on? Right? I don't know how far it was, but you get the idea. Three days. Right? They finally get across the river, or they get close to it. And as they're coming out of the other side of the river, Joshua says, okay, I want 12 of you, one from each tribe. Now, you've got to remember, in theory, there's a couple million people crossing this river, and he picks out 12. That takes a while. And he goes, I want you to grab a stone, put it on your shoulders, and carry it over here. And now they're going to build a monument to the Lord, which is important if you're Israel. If you're Rahab, you're like, man, if you go any slower, right? It's going to get ugly. But that's what they do. They build a monument. Are they ready to go into Jericho now? No. Now Joshua's going to give them a little sermon. You know why Joshua has given them a little sermon? Because he's already been there, done that. He's already gotten this close to the promised land. And then he said, never mind. Go spend 40 years over here. So he's like, listen, people, do not mess this up. <laughs> right? I'm giving you the layman's terms. This is a Rob Leghorn translation right here. So don't mess this up. We're going to go in. We're going to do it with full confidence, and we're going to take this thing. So that's what he does. Gives him a little sermon. Now you think they're ready to go. Rahab and her family are still waiting. And God said, not yet. I need you to circumcise every single male that's in your group. It's 20 years. Or, okay, when they came through the desert, anybody who was 20 or older had to pass away first. That's what took 40 years. So now anybody from that time on, since they were in the desert for 40 years, it says that they had not yet been circumcised. 
and now they're going to get circumcised. You know what? That is not a good idea in my mind, being former military, that just about before you're ready to go to battle, that you have a circumcision real quick in your spare time. But that's what they did. All of the males, right, that had not been circumcised. So they get circumcised real quick, right? I made a little side note here, but all right. I think I can keep this PG-13. So now they got some skin in the game. All right. All right. <laughs> Scott's never leaving again. <laughs> so they get them all circumcised. Now you've got to wait for everybody to heal up. Right? I don't know how long that takes. Scripture doesn't say. Seven to ten days. Just a guess. Can you imagine what Rahab and her family are thinking? They already took three days to consecrate. They're building monuments. They're getting circumcised. She's over there hanging out. She didn't know if they were coming back the following day. She had no idea when this army was coming back. They didn't have any idea because some of this stuff was dropped on them by God. Some of it was dropped on them by uh, Joshua. They have no idea. She's sitting in there. Now, I don't know what you guys think of. When I think of Rahab in this little apartment-looking thing, and she's on the top floor because she says that she hid the spies on her roof. So I don't know how many stories this thing is, but she's in the wall. She's on the top roof, guessing 400 square feet, right? I don't know. I don't know how many feet this thing is. She's grabbed every person that she knows. They are, you talk about standing room only. They're probably standing like this, like, all right, let's get this show on the road. Everybody's hot and sweaty, right? You have babies messing their diapers, which they didn't have diapers back then, so I think it just did its thing, right? You got grandpa over there who's complaining. He hasn't eaten, you know. It's always about grandpa. Everything's about food about him, right? Can you imagine all the bickering? Everything that's happened all night, every day. This has, like, been going on for probably 10 days, two weeks. I don't know. But it wouldn't be a fun scene. And I don't know how many people are in there. Could have been 20. Could have been 62. Could have been a lot. So you don't, normally when you read past the story, it's easy to start flushing through it. And then you start really thinking about it. And you're like, I don't think that would be fun at all. And it's probably 110 degrees on top of that. Now, you would think, after all of that, the circumcision, all right, we're ready. Let's get this thing on the road. Remember, I was talking about God's timing. What are the Israelites doing now? Now they're going to celebrate Passover. All right? So now they have a Passover meal they got to do. They're coming into the promised land. Passover is a big piece of that, right? They wouldn't have been passed over to begin with. They wouldn't even be there had they not been able to leave Egypt. So they're going to celebrate this thing, right? And remember, I was talking about God's timing. It's perfect. So now it says the day that they have the Passover and they eat food from the promised land, the following morning, the manna that God had been feeding them with for 40 years stops. So his timing is actually perfect every single time. It's just in our mindset where we're like, oh, my cow, right? His timing is perfect every time. Israel is ready to go in and take Jericho now. They've done everything. God told them to go. Do they walk right in? No. Joshua starts heading towards Jericho, and there's a man standing there with a sword in his hand. And like King David does years later, Joshua runs right up to this guy. Now, this is an angel, but we were talking about it in class this morning, which, by the way, you're missing out if you're not hitting Sunday morning elder class. It's, it's good stuff. We were talking about this this morning. That angel didn't look like an angel, or I don't think Joshua would have run right up to him and said, hey, kind of bowed up a little bit, you for us. Or for them? And I love the angel's answer. No, neither. 
And in fact, you're not even asking the right question. He doesn't even say that. He just says neither. He's like, but I am the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua's like, oh, poop, right? Uh, that was my translation. That's not in there. So he says, but I am the commander of the Lord's army, and I'm now here. And then Joshua falls on his face, right, and does his thing. And he says, as he gets the courage to speak, what message do you have for me and the troops? Again, the angel ignores his question. He says, take off your sandals, the place where you're standing's holy ground. You ever heard that before from anybody else? So this is Moses' protege getting the exact same thing that Moses got some 40-some-odd years later. And he's getting the same message from the same God. He says, take your shoes off. I want you to know who you're dealing with, where you're standing. This is what matters most right here, not your questions. So a lot of times when you're going through stuff and you ask the Lord the question, sometimes he doesn't answer at all because you're not asking the right question, and neither am I. I just need to remember that. So, Lord, what is it that I need to know from you? What are you trying to tell me? So they get ready to cross over. And the angel isn't mentioned again. I'm sure he was there and he helped the walls of Jericho fall, but he's not mentioned anymore. Rahab's still waiting. They finally get across the river. They're right outside of Jericho. Now the Israelites have to set up camp real quick. This is a couple million people. I don't know how long that took, but I'm sure it took a minute. Right? Finally, the army comes to the wall. They are bringing the ark with them. They have priests, seven to be exact. Each one has a trumpet that they're going to blow at the appropriate time. There's an armed guard in front. There's an armed guard in back. You have just the military troops in between. You know, it takes a while, I can tell you, from being in the military to organize all that and get that thing rocking and rolling. But she's in the city wall. She can see all this happening. And she's like, finally, finally. And they finally do their march all the way around the city wall that first day. And she's like, any second, Lord. And then the army leaves without saying a word. Because they were told not to say a word. They could not speak. Right? They come back the second day. And they do it again all the way around. And she's like, today's the day. Remember, Grandpa's still hungry. The baby's still missing, messing the diaper that doesn't exist. They're still having, you know, did they pack food for four days? I don't know. They've been in there three weeks now, and they're still waiting? But this is the character of Rahab, which is the whole point of the story. Well, at least on her side. They do this. Can you imagine? If somebody would have just yelled and said, hey, Rahab, relax. In fact, you can go outside your house. We've got five more days of this. But nobody was able to say that. So for another five days, they go over and over and over and do this again. They circle the entire city, tension mounts every time, and nothing happens. I wonder what all the bickering was like. I wonder what the conversations were about in the meantime. They're like, oh, my. And no indoor plumbing back then. What was going on there? You know as well as I do, right? I'm sure it, it was wonderful. Finally, day seven comes around, and the, this time she notices something different. They marched around once, and now they're a second time. She's like, they're scared, right? Everybody inside is scared. One, they don't know for sure if the spies are going to keep good on their promise. What if it was all a trick, and it was just a way to get them in, get them out, and now they're going to come slaughter everyone? Anyway, they did the last couple towns they went through. 
seven times around. And they're like, all right, today, are they going to just keep marching around 72 times? What in the world is going on? She has no idea. Then, this is probably where the angel of the Lord was still in the picture, even though it doesn't say so. Boom. All of the walls fall. You know the story. But something I had not thought about until I was reading an archaeological Bible last year was if Rahab was living in the wall and all of the walls fell, she and her family and everybody with her would have fell too. And that wouldn't make sense. And then I was reading this archaeological Bible, and it says that they found the ancient ruins of Jericho. And I don't think that they intended this, but they said the entire thing was collapsed and rubbled except for this one little section. Isn't that amazing? I'm like, of course it wasn't, because Rahab had to stay alive. I had never really thought about that part of the story before. And they were like, and we think due to wind velocity and speed and the rotation of the earth that it caused this part of the wall. And I was like, oh, and God was saving Rahab's life. And so they failed to mention that part. But I thought, that's cool. That's our God. So every single wall collapses, except her little stucco chunk. There's people screaming everywhere. Every living thing is destroyed. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, donkey, sheep, you name it. Then the Israelites are rushing in, and they're carrying off all the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, every single thing. Can you imagine you and all of your family looking at everything that you have ever worked for, all your friends, everything is being destroyed in front of your face and the screams and everything that's happening at the same time. Because not everybody lived in the city wall. There were houses in the middle too. So those are all being ransacked and burnt to the ground and people are being killed. And then I thought to myself, she probably wanted it erased. She probably wanted that particular childhood memory and everything that Jericho did not offer her to go away. That's just my thoughts. I don't know. She did not have good memories of Jericho. The Israelites move her whole family to a safe place, it says, near the camp of Israel. So then I started thinking to myself, she hasn't been safe her whole life. And now she's got a whole new family with her family that she has now, but she's got a whole new family. And she gets to hang out with them. It says that Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her. So she gets to live with these strange church people the rest of her life. Nieces, nephews, everybody. And I love this line. It comes straight out of the scripture. It says, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. This one little act of her just inviting in the spies, protecting them for that one overnight and sending them on their way, changes her destiny and the destiny of her entire family in one shot. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God can change your destiny in one little shot too. One little burning bush can change the direction of your life. One red cord, one prayer, one coming up to the altar, coming up to the steps and saying, I give in, Lord, can change the direction of your life. Are you ready to change your destiny is the question. I'm going to give you a chance in just a minute. But the story doesn't end there. Three more times, Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament. Matthew 1.5 says that Salmon, I want to call him Salmon because I'm a fisherman. Salmon. We'll just go with Salmon. So Troutman and Rahab get married and they have a son named Boaz. You may remember the story of Boaz. 
this prostitute has a son named Boaz, who is the one who marries Ruth, changes Ruth's destiny as well. And they go a different direction. Well, they have a child named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David, who becomes king. So this prostitute is in the lineage of Jesus. You talk about the sign out front that says, no perfect people allowed. Anyway, God purposely chose Rahab, the prostitute, to be in the bloodline of the Messiah. Now, why would he do that? I'm glad you asked. That lets all you and I know that if he's going to let a prostitute be in his lineage, then no matter what you and I have done, that we can be part of God's family too. Isn't that cool? So Hebrews 11.31 says, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. So it wasn't just her act itself. It was the faith behind it and those things that she was thinking and believing and what was coming out of her mouth. This harlot is now mentioned in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. That's why we're calling her a heroine. Is because... She's mentioned with all the greats, the King Davids and the this and the that. And they're like, and don't forget about Rahab. I love it. James 2.25 reads that Rahab the prostitute is another example. This is three times now in the New Testament. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. So I guess my question is, do you want to get right with God today. If God can make a harlot part of his bloodline, he can make you a part of his family. So as the band plays this last song, and you think you need it and God's prompting you, join me down here today for some prayer. Take a different road. God has a dry path for you that is set out. And you can change your destiny. And it's not going to be just your destiny because there are other people involved, just like Rahab and her family, that you can change your whole family tree because of the decision that you make. So it's not just about you. That red scarlet cord that was thrown out of the window is replaced by the red scarlet blood of Christ. He's not just saving you. He's on a, a mission to change your entire family, your entire destiny if God is prompting you and you're having those little tangles in your stomach some of you got more stomach to have those tingles but if God is prompting you and you have those tingles going on and you feel separated from the Lord you can declare like Rahab the prostitute and say that I know he is the supreme God of the earth and I know he's cut out a path for me. If that's you and God is prompting you, come on down here, pray with us, and receive the Lord and, and join this new church family and hang out with this Israelite camp and you can be weird with the rest of us. Amen.